Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. I lack sleep. I, I didn't get enough sleep last night. I only get up early like this if I'm going hunting. So I, I lost sleep. So there's no telling what's going to happen today. So y'all are in for it. We're going to have fun. Well, we ended a series last week uh, called Farmville. We were dealing with sowing and reaping. Y'all, rem- Well, y'all may not have been in the early service. You're in the early service this morning. You just don't know it. But uh, I was really mean to the first service cause I, last week because I told them they were idiots. That, you know. I did. I said, if you play the lottery, you're an idiot. If you spend more time with somebody other than your spouse, you're an idiot. If, if, if you try to find answers in a bottle, you're an idiot. Well, y'all have permission to call me an idiot now because next time I try to put hay in the sanctuary as part of my set, y'all just look at me and say, Pastor, you're an idiot because I had to clean that mess up. It took me an hour and a half to get all. I'm using fake hay from now on, all right? So, uh, so y'all just bear with me. Well, we start a new um, series this morning, a two-part series that I'm excited about. I love the title. I wished it was mine. I stole it. Um, uh, there's a new movie coming out called Despicable Me that looks really cool. It's a 3D animated uh, movie. But I want us to take a couple of weeks and look at this. There's this passage of Scripture in the New Testament that has always intrigued me. It, it just messes with me. I kind of like it. it. It makes me realize I'm human. And so I want us to look at this. In Romans chapter 7, I like Paul. Anybody like Paul, the Apostle Paul? He's messed up. All right. Y'all like messed up folks? I understand. You'll see why here in a second because... This, this passage just blows my mind because, well, I'll tell you why here in a second. Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. Cracks me up. I do not understand what I do. For what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I, this, now I do what... Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Paul is messed up. (laughs) If if there was uh, ever a person in the Bible that had a split personality, it was Paul. He needed counseling, Angie. He had this issue going on. I don't know. He he declares, if you will, that I want to do good, but I can't do it. And on the other hand, I don't want to do bad, but I can't help myself. I don't know. I just want to do a James Brown jig all this. I can't help. I'll get that later. Uh, There's this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde struggle, evil and good, fighting for Paul's insides, fighting. And the reason that intrigues me is because, I don't know about you, but that's a description of me. Uh, I know y'all are all holy and sanctified and all, but uh, I just need to tell you the honest truth. There are days when I wake up and I look at myself in the mirror and it has nothing to do with my unbelievably good-looking resemblance that I see. Y'all get that? Okay. Um, I told you I'm in a mess this morning, so y'all just going to have to bear with me. I talk faster if you talk back to me, so I'll get done quicker if you do. Okay. See, all right. I know how this works, so you know. All right. I look at myself in the mirror and there are days 
that I don't like what I see. It has nothing to do with lack of hair. has nothing to do with lack of height. has nothing to do with lack of anything or excess of anything. There's this inward struggle and fight inside of me that there are days that I don't like me. Maybe that's you too. That condition is not new. The truth is, is that we're despicable. See, I'm into the edification business. I'm supposed to build y'all up. So last week I tell you you're idiots. This week I tell you you're despicable. Hallelujah! Good preaching, right? Well, you'll understand. We're not just going to stand here and smile at you and say, you're okay. Because the truth is, is that the condition of our heart is not, has been known and talked about and described for decades and centuries. Paul said it that way. I can't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. But if you go into the Old Testament, there's a famous description of man's heart that paints a despicable picture of us. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. I'm going to read it to you in the message, and then out of the New International Version, it simply says this, the heart, oh, what a nasty description, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful. A puzzle that no one can figure out. New International Version. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Do you recognize what that says to us? That says that as individuals, as people, as humans, we are dark-hearted, we are deceitful, we are despicable. Not a pretty picture. My question this morning is, how hopeless is man's heart? How dark-hearted are we really? Can I give you a modern-day example? I just want to give you one illustration of how jacked up we really are. How messed up we really are. Can I? I'm going to anyway, so you might as well say yes. There's a new application out for an iPhone. Don't go download this application. It's called Tiger Text. Any ideas where this is going? <laughs> the creators of this application, this is how they describe it. They say it's perfect for cheating spouses, shady politicians, sexting teens. If you don't know what sexting is, come see me and we'll explain it to you. And then it's also perfect for people who send out a lot of stupid text while they're drunk. That's the description. Time, uh, Time Magazine just did an expose on this, a description of this, and this is what they say. They said it works like this. When, say, a prominent politician sends his mistress an iPhone message via Tiger Text, the mistress is prompted to install the application. When she has done so, she can read the message, but she can't keep it. In fact, the message is never actually sent to her phone. It's stored on Tiger Text servers. And after the politician's specified time span has elapsed, anywhere from one minute to five days, they get to set the setting, the message ceases to exist altogether. There's even a delete on read setting, which counts down from, zero, from 60 to zero. You have 60 seconds to read the message, and when it hits zero, the message deletes permanently. And for those who need even more comprehensive way to cover the tracks, there's another setting, which is the delete history option, which wipes away any evidence of a given phone call. Therefore, no one can get caught. There's no 
unexplained numbers, suspicious numbers. They're pressing the redial routine to see who sent the message. It's a way to cover your tracks. Our heart is despicable. We go to infinite lengths to cover up our deceit. We justify cheating. We wink at adultery and fornication to the point that even preachers... uh, Now listen, let, let me... Tell you, I'm just preaching for me this morning. Y'all just get to listen in, okay? See, because you can talk about your family, just don't talk about my family, okay? So I'm just going to talk about my family. I'm a card-carrying preacher, so I get to talk about preachers for just a second. Because what I've recognized is that we have come to the day and age where even preachers wink at, participate in adultery and fornication, and I've almost come to the place to, to, to this understanding that that's the fastest way to grow your church. I facetiously told Julie one time, I just don't understand it. It seems like if you just have an affair with your your secretary, divorce your wife, refuse all steps of restoration or discipline, and two days later, people will hand you a microphone, stick your rear on a stage, point a spotlight and a television camera in your face, and your audience will grow to infinite degrees. They will let you write books and cut deals, and, and we think that sin means nothing. And so we justify it, and we wink at it, we snicker at it, we even applaud it. We bend the truth without a second thought, and about 90% of the time we tell half-truths. We mistreat others, and we laugh it off, and at times even boast about the pain we inflict. We witness pain, we witness injustice, we witness disease. And we just pick up the remote, turn the channel, and go back to our comfortable environment and give it no more thought. And that's just the Christians. We worship with the same hands we sin with. We sing with the same lips that we spread rumors with. We applaud with this. Oh, y'all ain't here this morning. We are caught up in this saga of two-facedness that Paul talks about. And so what we do is we walk into environments like this and we put on the fake smile and we walk in and when somebody says, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed, brother. I'm blessed, sister. Knowing in the back of our own minds that our heart is deceitful and we're despicable. And so what we do is we try to ignore that truth and we just want our preachers to preach kingdom, blessings, favor, authority, power, provision, and what we fail to realize and what we fooled ourselves to believe is that we can live any way we want to and we can still access kingdom and authority and favor and blessings and power. And the truth is, is that favor and power and provision and authority is all contingent upon the condition of our heart. And so what we do is we substitute things And call them abundant living because we don't want to deal with the despicableness of our own heart. So what we do is we have a decently nice house and we go, oh, I'm blessed. That's abundant living, brother. 
I'm driving a nice car. I must have abundant living, sister. Everything's great. I have trendy clothes, so it must be abundant living. Can I tell you that those are poor substitutes for abundant living? Because abundant living has nothing to do with the house that you're living in, the car that you drive, the clothes that you wear, or the friends in your life. It has everything to do with the, the, the infusion of power and authority and peace and calm and joy and strength and all of those attributes that you can take my house away, take my car away take my clothes away take my friends away but I can still have abundant living because my abundant living is not wrapped up in those things it's wrapped up in the things of God if you don't believe that go to a third world country where they don't have a nice house and they'll never have a nice car and they barely have anything to wear and they'll sing you down and they'll dance you down and they'll praise you down because they're living abundantly and we've substituted cheap temporal for what really matters because we don't want to deal with the despicable nature of our own heart. Thankfully, Paul gives us a glimpse into the solution for our mess. Paul comes to this place. He comes to this this place of uh, recognizing and coming to grips with his own deplorable nature and his own deplorable condition in Romans chapter 7 verse 24 when he says, hear his heart, hear him grappling with this. He says, what a wretched man that I am. Man. Get up tomorrow morning, look yourself in the face in the mirror and go, man, I'm wretched. I stink. That's what he's doing. Then he asked this question, who will rescue me from this body of death? He realizes his own helplessness, which we should as well, and we'll talk about that in a moment, to deal with the darkness of his own heart. And then... He reveals the solution for despicable me. Because in verse 25, he says this, Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, I got news for you this morning. God is not scared by the deceitfulness of your heart, and he's not surprised by the darkness of your heart. Can I tell you what God is? He's determined not to leave you that way. That's the good news this morning. He doesn't want to leave us in that condition. And so what he does, I, I, I believe sincerely that what God has done is he's prescribed for us two doses, two remedies, two prescriptions, if you will, to deal with the condition of our heart. The only problem is, is that shots hurt. In fact, if you like shots... I am assigning you the first Thursday night at 5 o'clock with Angie because you're weird. Shots don't feel good. Anybody ever got a shot that hurt? Okay, a couple of you. I got one. I grew up in a little uh, West Oklahoma town. There was a nice little deli there, sandwiches, that kind of thing. It was the precursor to um, Subway, I guess. (coughs) Christian lady in the community owned it. We knew her. So we'd eat there every Sunday after church. Only problem was is that about my junior year in high school, somebody, one of the waitresses, waiters, worked there, and unbeknownst to the owner, they were working while they had hepatitis. And so they put that out in the newspaper and made the phone calls. They tracked down all of her customers during that period of time and said, if you ate here during this period of time, you got to come and get a shot. I had to go get one of those shots. Can I tell you that a hepatitis shot hurts? I got shot right here and had a bruise the size of a softball on the inside of my arm. I hate shots. 
aspect. I need counseling because I am purposely walking with a limp for the rest of my life. I don't remember this. My parents told me about this. My, I guess my dad, you know, dad just kept reminding. I don't know why he did this. He just kept reminding me and reminding me and reminding When I was too young to remember, I, I had pneumonia, and I had to go to the hospital, and the nurse gave me a shot in my leg. The only problem was she stuck it in too far, and it hit my bone, and it hurt so bad. I wasn't. I don't remember it, but I remember it. I don't like shots. Shots are painful. But you stay sick without the shot. And so God gives us two shots, if you will, neither of which are any fun, but they are necessary. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about one this week and one next week. The first dose that we have to deal with to deal with the despicable nature of our heart is repentance. We don't hear about repentance anymore. We just hear, you're okay. Life's great. You're going to be blessed. But that starts with the first dose, repentance. I believe there's a couple issues with repentance. There's a couple problems with the concept and the practice of repentance. And the first one is this, is that you must first come to grips with the fact that you need to repent. Uh, let me illustrate. When I was three years old, well, I'm, t- I'm telling on my dad today, I guess. When I was three years old, we used to go to my grandmother's, my dad's mom. She's with the Lord now. But we used to go to her house every day. I mean, it was a, a religion. You go to my grandmother's house every day. There's a reason we did that. She made fresh homemade cinnamon rolls every day. And she made homemade, from scratch, iced tea with sugar in the bottom of the pitcher before she pours the hot stuff in about that deep. And then she put fresh lemon in it. In fact, when my grandmother passed away in 1980-something, I quit drinking tea. I will only drink tea when I have to because nobody made tea like Granny made tea. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We would go over there every day. Well, my, my, my dad has a sister. Her name is Terry. Terry would come over there as well. And as a three-year-old, I went into the back bedroom, found Aunt Terry's purse, took a piece of gum out of Aunt Terry's purse without asking, came into the living room, was chewing the gum. My dad recognized he didn't have any gum. He asked me where I got the gum. I told him. And so my dad said to me, if you don't apologize for stealing this gum from your aunt, I'm going to spank you. To which I quickly responded, no. No, no, you don't understand, Steve. If you don't apologize for stealing this gum from your aunt, I'm going to spank you. And again, I flatly refused, no. And that little dialogue continued until, like some superhero, the belt goes, oh, y'all don't know nothing about that either. But in those days, we spanked. You can ask my children if we still spank. We spanked. But my dad had this supernatural ability to unleash that belt like Zorro and wind up and reach 92 feet across the room and kapow! I know y'all don't know nothing about that. Okay, some of you do. And then suddenly when the belt struck, this word of wisdom sprung up inside of my dad. And he stopped and he said, wait a minute, Steve, do you understand what the word apologize means? 
as a three-year-old, extremely brilliant for his age. I had no clue. And so my dad had to stop and in turn apologize to me and explain what apologize meant. God help us if that was still true today. If the issue was that we didn't understand apology, I would be really happy. Because the problem is this, we understand apology and we understand repentance. We just don't like to take responsibility for our own actions. Oh, I'm preaching good this morning. If I'm mad, it's not my fault, it's their fault. If I'm having to drink alcohol to numb myself, it's not my fault. It's my daddy's fault because 22 years ago this week, he hurt me in a way that I can never get over, so I'm going to drink my life away. If I have to stick a needle in my arm, it's not my fault. Don't blame me. It's what they did to me. I can't cope. And if I have to cheat on my spouse, don't blame me. Blame my spouse. Because that just means they don't know how to love me. And they don't know how to show me the affection they should show me. If they would just pay more attention to me, I would stay true to them. It's not my fault. We just don't accept responsibility for our actions anymore. How did we learn that? We learned it from our first father. You remember in the garden... The Bible says that God comes to walk in the garden in the cool of the evening after Adam and Eve have eaten from the tree. And God sees Adam covered, now clothed in fig leaves. And he said, who told you you were naked? You remember what Adam says? He passes the buck. What did he say? Who, who did he blame it on? The woman? No. Oh, we think, we, the guys especially, we'll, man, we'll shout a preacher down, preacher, man, it was the woman. If it hadn't been you stinking women, you blew it for all. No, Adam didn't blame the woman. Listen to what he said. It's the woman you put here with me. Who's he blaming? God. It was God's fault that I'm sinning. Come on. We learned well. We even like to blame the devil. <laughs> the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You chose. He tempted you, but you chose to sin. The second problem with repentance is this. We think repentance is only for sinners. Man, if everybody out there would just repent, I happened to spend a little time this week going back and reading Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. You ought to go read it sometime because God is talking to good old blood-bought, swinging from the chandelier, dance you down in a worship service, redeemed, Christ-loving people. Five churches full of church folk. And three out of the five congregations, he looks them square in the eyes and says, Repent! Saved, folks. House Part 9, those of you that have been attending here a while understand, we did a series last year that carried over into the first part of this year called House, and I keep adding to it. Here's Part 9. I just want to remind you that the Bible very clearly says that judgment originates, starts, has its beginning 
in the house of God. What that says to me is that if anybody ought to be good repenters, it ought to be us. If anybody understands that the painfulness of repentance, although is not fun to do, if anybody ought to understand that at the moment we repent, that's our access to mercy, that's our access to grace. If anybody ought to walk around all the time ready to repent at the drop of the hat, it ought to be us. And yet it seems easier a lot of times to get the bum off the street to admit they've got a problem than it is to get one of us who know how to act the act and and play the game and put on the mask and the facade to actually admit that we don't glow in the dark. Repentance is not just for sinners. It's for us. We try to put on airs. We try to put on pretense. Maybe we need another preacher like John the Baptist to come along. I might start a series next week that's going to last 900 months in a row. And all I'll preach on is the fact that we need to repent. That's what John the Baptist did. This morning I want to challenge you that we need to practice repentance. I am not concerned with, hear me this morning, I am not concerned with, nor am I making or asking you for a meaningless religious response. Some cattle-like march to an altar for three minutes on a Sunday morning thinking that that is a sign of repentance. It might be, but generally speaking, most of us have made so many of those types of marches that it doesn't mean anything anymore. It's herd mentality. You come, so I'll come. And you start crying, I'll start crying. And we really don't change at all, but we're supposed to do that, and that's repentance. Hogwash. No, I'm challenging us to become a congregation of repenters. What do I mean by that? Let me explain quickly. There are three things about being repenters that I want us to deal with. Here's number one. I want us to repent daily. I want us to recognize that repentance is not a one-time event. It is an ongoing lifestyle. Thank you, Tari. I was waiting on that. Why don't we recognize that the, the, the one trip to the altar you made like me when I was five years old and asked Christ as, into my heart as my personal Savior was great and it changed my life forever, but every day of my life I've got to live with an attitude and a perspective of repentance and come willing to bow my knee on a daily basis to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's got to become our MO, our mode of operation. That's how we've got to live our life. Repentance should invade every prayer that we pray. Why? Because if we go too long without repenting, sin takes root into our life and it destroys us. David understood this dilemma. I didn't put this on the screen for you because I want you to listen with your ears. Psalms chapter 32, if it ever paints a picture of the need to repent quickly and to repent often, it's this passage of Scripture. Listen to what David says. When I didn't confess my sins, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. So does hidden sin affect us physically? Oh, yeah. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. I don't know if you've ever lived where God's heavy hand is on you. It is not a fun place to live. 
Don't you remember in the New Testament that Jesus said, come and follow me, my burden is light. Take up my, it's, take up a, it's, it's light. But here David's saying, I didn't confess my sin, and so now that light hand has become a heavy hand. And boy, if we ought to understand this, we ought to understand in this in Oklahoma, he goes on and he says, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Ever got so hot you feel weak? That's what happens when you don't confess sin in your life. Then listen what happens. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Unconfessed sin will steal your strength. We must repent daily. But not only should we repent daily, we must repent thoroughly. Hide nothing. Can I tell you this morning, uh, to steal a line from Craig Rochelle, we are practical atheists, all of us. Did y'all know that? Because we claim that we believe in God, but we live like we don't. So in these terms, let me put it like this. If I ask you right now, how many of you actually believe that God knows everything that you do, everything that you think, everything that you say? How many of you would say, oh, yeah, Steve, sure he does. Yeah, we do. But we don't live that way. And so we hide sins. And when we go to pray, I pray about all my sins but my pet one. I know y'all don't have a pet sin. But that one little area that we don't intend to quit doing, <laughs> I'll repent for all the rest of them and just hang on to that one. No, I'm challenging you that we got to deal with all the sin of our life. Sins of commission. What's a sin of commission? A sin of commission is something you did on purpose. I know that none of you sin on purpose. Can I tell you there are days I sin on purpose? It messed you up, didn't it? I'm in good company. I'm just like Paul. There are days that we sin on purpose. We should repent of that. That's a sin of commission. But there's also a sin of omission, which means that you knew to do right and chose not to do it. You, you, you knew I was supposed to read my word four minutes a day, five days a week, and I chose not to. I knew I was supposed to pray today, but I chose not to. I knew I was supposed to help somebody today, but I chose not to. I looked the other direction. I knew I was supposed to tithe, but I chose not to. Those are sins of omission, things that you know to do right, and you still choose not to do them. So God covers everything, the things that we know we're not supposed to do when we do it, and the things that we should do when we choose not to do it. He's saying they're all sins. And so we've got to come to this place where we repent thoroughly. No more excuses. No more boundaries. Give God access to every inch of our life and allow Him to blow the whistle on any thought, any action, any statement, anything that He discovers and finds that's despicable. We allow God to invade our life in that area. That's what I'm challenging you to do. And third, I am challenging you this morning to repent sincerely. Sincerely. That's not 
a show. The Old Testament says it like this. Rend your hearts and not your garments. We know how to play church. We know how to come down and cry. We know how to shed crocodile tears and pat ourselves on the back and make no change whatsoever. But I came to tell you this morning that our actions reveal our sincerity more than our tears do. Did you know that Judas repented? That'll blow your theology. Well, he kind of repented. Matthew chapter 27, verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elders. If there was ever a picture of us, here it is. Because in the Greek, that word there for repentance literally means this. Listen to me this morning. It means to produce regret or even remorse on the account of sin, but not necessarily a change of heart. The true definition of repentance is this, that you change and go the other way. And so I am calling you back to a sincere repentance where not only do you cry about what you did wrong, but you actually change and do something else. I want us to get back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 kind of repentance. Listen to this. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. When's the last time that you were overcome by godly sorrow? When was the last time that as you're driving down the road, minding your own business, godly sorrow overtakes you to the place that you're crushed by your own iniquity and recognize that as if I stay in my own sin and I refuse to repent, I in fact am re-crucifying Christ right now and causing God pain all over again. Godly sorrow. Sincere sorrow. I want us to repent daily. I want us to repent thoroughly. I want us to repent sincerely. Why is this prescription, why is this painful shot, why is this remedy so important? Two things and then I'm done quickly. I want you to understand this morning that personal revival is contingent upon repentance. If you are not experiencing personal revival, could I submit to you that your personal revival depends and exists and comes directly from personal repentance? Go back and read the parable of the prodigal son. The Bible says the young man came to himself. He accepted responsibility for his own actions. He comes back to the Father and listen to what he says. I have sinned against you. And at that moment of personal repentance, the Bible says that he instantly receives forgiveness and revival. It doesn't use that term, but revival invaded that young man's life. That young man's life. Do you know how I know? Because there, were, there was fruit of revival. New position, new provision, new relationship. Doesn't that sound like revival to you? And it was all contingent upon repentance. The second reason that 
repentance is so important is because Second Chronicles and Joel chapter 2 reveals that repentance dictates individual repentance. Christians repenting dictates national revival. Y'all think our nation needs a revival? I do. God help us. We got tiger texting. We definitely need a revival. It is absolutely contingent upon individuals like us repenting. What do you mean? Well, Second Chronicles chapter 7, the one that we like to quote about prayer, we always use it to emphasize, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. We always want to use it for prayer. Then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. There's only one small problem. We skip part of the prescription because right there there's this little phrase that says, if you will turn from your wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and heal your land. And so national revival is contingent upon Christians, blood-bought, born-again believers, repenting before God. I got news for you this morning. If America is not experiencing revival, it's not the sinner's fault. The sinners are supposed to sin. That's why we call them sinners. And so if we're not having revival, it's not some politician's fault in Washington, D.C., and it's not some actor out in Hollywood. It's not some Grammy-winning artist that's singing about things they shouldn't be singing about. It's not some gangbanger or drug pusher that's keeping us from having revival. Can I tell you who's keeping the nation of America from having revival? Blood-bought, asleep, lethargic, I don't care, comfortable, let's have church song, get my dance on, Christian. That's who restricts us from having revival as a nation because national revival is contingent upon individual Christians repenting of their evil ways, corporate bodies of believers gathering together, repenting of our evil ways so that God will turn grace towards us. Repentance is crucial, daily, thorough, sincere. Okay, now let me be honest with you. What I'm supposed to do at this time is give an altar call and get it, work it up really good so at least one or two of you will come down and boo-hoo a little bit. Because herd mentality will take over and we'll all come down and then after three minutes I'll pat you on the back and send you home and then we won't talk about sin again until I bring in a special speaker that's hung up on it. I know. I, man, I've been in this all my life. I know how it's supposed to work. We're not doing that. Sincere. Thorough. It's 12.36 right now. Actually, 11.36, but 12.36 right now. This is how we're going to do it. I'm going to give you three minutes all by your lonesome. If you need to kneel on this hard concrete, you can. If you need to get up and walk around, if you want to lay your face on the floor, I don't care. Whatever you have to do to get along with God, well, I know Jesus is my personal Savior. Great. Repent again. I'm going to give you three minutes. I will tell you that's probably not long enough, and you're going to have to do some of this at home. But I don't want you to just go through some motion here. I'm asking you to start a lifestyle of repentance. We're going to take three minutes, and I'm going to give you three minutes of time to just seek God's face, and at the end of that three minutes, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to pray over us. And I'm believing from this day forward, this congregation is going to be known as a group of repenters. Three minutes starting right now.
Father, three minutes is not very long. But I pray that this would become part of our daily procedures. God, I pray that we would be overcome with godly sorrow. I pray that nobody would have to work us up or beg us to repent, but we would become a congregation of individuals who would repent at the drop of a hat, recognizing that unconfessed sin saps our strength. God, I pray that we would daily and thoroughly repent. Help us to become more like you. Father, I pray that we would sincerely repent. It wouldn't just be something we do out of duty as a believer, but Father, we would recognize that our own personal revival is contingent upon keeping clear lines of communication with you. And Father, that our nation is impacted by our unwillingness to confess sin. Help us, O God. Help us, O God. Uncover the deceitfulness and the darkness and the despicableness of our own hearts. Father, I can't pray a prayer of repentance for each person here, but symbolically, I pray for this congregation and we ask you, O God, to let us become a congregation of repenters. I pray we would quit walking in here acting like we've always got it together, but we would come to groups with the despicable nature of our heart and we would repent. Father, we got to repent because we recognize that our assigned field, this community behind us that you've sent us to, the communities that we impact, that we live in, their future and their destiny is wrapped up in us. And so, Father, I pray that we would be quick to repent, that we would thoroughly repent, and that we would sincerely repent, and that that repentance would start a chain of reaction of revival in these communities and in our state and in our nation and in our world. Help us to take the first shot, as painful as it may be. In Jesus' name I pray, Woody. To stay in an attitude of prayer this morning. And you heard us if you're a visitor or maybe. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.